0: Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com.
1: This week it's episode 293 and we're talking about how to choose a hike. In New Zealand specifically, but really anywhere in the world.
0: That's right. And it's great being back in New Zealand, isn't it? We've just oh been goodness. back for about two weeks and loving it.
1: I went to the city this morning and I was walking down Queen Street with this goofy grin on my face. Because the sun was shining, I had an ice cream in my hand, and it just felt like life was good I visited Aotea Square, which is one of the main squares in the city centre, and uh, there were a whole bunch of Christmas trees made out of empty plastic bottles, green ones and white ones, and they looked really great. Oh my goodness, it was awesome. Just the whole thing about being in the city. And then I caught the bus back, and of course it goes around the waterfront, so I had the sun shining on the water, Rangitoto Island behind it. Oh, Auckland is awesome.
0: So last week we were in Wanaka before we came up to Auckland, and here's a clip of uh, the birds singing outside in the trees in Wanaka in the South Island of New Zealand. So when we last spoke to you, we were in Christchurch and heading over to Wanaka.
1: That's right, and uh, we went to Wanaka for a week and... Unfortunately, because of various reasons, we didn't manage to record a podcast last week, so we've had two weeks away from you. What have we been up to?
0: Well, quite a bit. I mean, Wanaka is one of the most popular tourist destinations in the South Island, and for good reason. We managed to do a couple of great walks one of Not them official was... <laughs> Great Walks, because New Zealand yes. has, great, uh, I think great, there
1: are nine of them that great, are officially called Great yes, Walks yes. with
0: capital letters. Very good. Small letter, <laughs> small letter. Uh, one was just uh, an hour or two up Mount Iron, which was right next to where we're staying. And we also did the Roy's Peak Trail which took us, well, pretty much all day. We, but the cool thing was we were with some couch surfers that we met and we stayed with twice now in yeah. Kuala Lumpur.
1: It was great. We went to visit them on our way back to New Zealand and we stayed with them uh, in Kuala Lumpur. We were jet-lagged, so we weren't very good company. But they were, well, in the final stages of planning a trip to New Zealand. When we compared notes, we realized that we'd be in Wanaka at the same time. So we arranged to meet up. And uh, they had a hike that they wanted to do. And we decided to join them on them as well. As to we decided to join them on it, <laughs> um, as well as having dinner together a couple of times. So we hit it up. Uh, unfortunately, it was a very steep hill, and uh, no shade, nothing. And it was a very hot day, so we were a bit slow, and we didn't really even get to the top. But when we did get to a summit, we had beautiful views from the top.
0: We also went out to uh, Queenstown and Arrowtown and to one of my favorite wineries, Peregrine, nice. uh, which is on the road between them all. And it was great hanging out with my dad and stepmom and also our friends who were over for for Malaysia we managed to meet up for on that day. Uh, so that was two weeks ago. Last week we flew out to Auckland on Monday, so I've been here back home in Auckland for exactly one week now. Yeah, that's right. And we've spent most of the week catching up with friends. Went out to the Riverhead Tavern out north to uh, help celebrate a friend's birthday. And we also went to uh, one of New Zealand's top, top food experiences. Oh my goodness, it was so um, awesome. Which is a gelato store on Queen Street called Giapo.
1: Wow. Giapo himself, Paulo, invited us into the kitchen. Now, one of the cool things about Giapo is that although it serves ice cream well, technically gelato it's not just made from powders or or whipped up or or brought in he gets his staff in hours before the shop opens and they make every single flavour from scratch and they even make their own chocolate I asked, where do you get your chocolate from? and he's like, well we kind of make it ourselves they make everything themselves, it is spectacular and we got to watch them make hokey pokey New Zealand's kind of iconic ice cream flavor is hokey pokey and uh it's the hokey pokey itself is it's kind of like butterscotch it's a type of toffee and making it is a scientific explosion (laughs) it's a reaction involving sugar and baking soda and it's, it's awesome and the ice cream itself so delicious
0: We'll have some photos from that trip, including uh, the future of ice cream, <laughs> this amazing dessert that they've created, uh, probably up next week on the Indie Travel Podcast site. But for now, we'll leave you with a few words from inside the kitchen before opening hours at Giapo. So this is one of the decorations. So people don't pay for this. Mm-hmm. This comes with the ice cream. We don't let anybody to choose their toppings. We don't believe people is able to make a choice. Yeah. So we decide for them. We decide for them uh, and uh, once they pick the flavor here, we know what is good and what is not for them because we have, we have designed it. And when they pick this one, that's what goes. Mm. Well, I hope you enjoyed that touch of culinary delight in Auckland's Queen Street with Jean from Giapo.
1: We certainly enjoyed the ice cream itself. <laughs> Unfortunately, sound isn't a good medium for uh, sending ice cream. You have to come here and try it for yourself.
0: I think we'd have to charge a premium if uh, we could send ice cream over, oh, over your iPod. Wouldn't that be <laughs> awesome?
1: I mean, we've got, we've got video now. We've got sound. When will yeah. we get flavour?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Probably the day they start drilling microchips into our brains. Yeah. Yeah, not so good. Not so great. <laughs> well, today we're not talking about science fiction fantasy. We are talking about how to choose a hike, especially a hike here in New Zealand.
1: The reason we decided to talk about this was because when we were in Wanaka we went on a hike with our Malaysian friends and it was less than perfect. It was not really the right hike for the people all the day. So uh, we got to thinking how do you choose a hike? I mean we choose on a variety of factors and uh, yeah so we thought we'd talk about what those factors are.
0: Indeed and I guess the first thing to think about is how long you want to walk for and you know there's a whole lot of different factors that come into that including your fitness and how much time you have between attractions um so yeah, it's it's kind of a big one because a hike can be like a half hour, one hour kind of wander. Oh, there are 15-minute
1: flat it... walks through the Kauri Forest up in Northland.
0: Yeah, it's true. Uh, or you could be looking at a five to ten day... Um, a great no, walk. No, no support, <laughs> uh, just you and your team in the forest.
1: Yeah, and that could be a great walk where there's pretty good infrastructure or it could just be you and a map or a, <laughs> whatever. So, uh there's lots of factors to consider. Most people will probably be looking for a shorter walk not a 10-day walk. You want something in between the 15 minutes and the 10 days and a day walk is a really good option. So something between I don't know like three to four hours and six hours is, is a good day walk. One thing to realize in New Zealand that if you're going on a day walk you need to put everything you need in your backpack because there's very likely to be no facilities at all. There won't be any shops at the end of the trail. There are Probably won't be a tap to fill up your water bottle. If there's a stream, then you need uh, decontamination tablets because a lot of the streams carry bugs that you don't want to drink. So it's a good idea to have all the water you need, all the food you need, hat, sunscreen, you know, the things you need when you go hiking.
0: Yeah, and if you're driving to the uh, the trailhead, it's a good idea to have an extra, you know, 1.5 or three liter soft drink bottle full of water, mm-hmm. uh, sitting in the car, really, for when you come back. So you're not carrying it, but you've got a good chance to rehydrate That's before you point. jump back in the car. Yeah.
1: So point number two is location. Where exactly do you want to walk? I mean, there might be one particular hike that you're, you're interested in doing. For example, we really want to do the Milford Track, which is one of New Zealand's great walks, and that is where it is. It's in the South Island. Uh, And we've just got to overcome the issues related to getting there because getting to some of these hikes in New Zealand can be an issue. There are, I mean, the public transport here is not wonderful. And even in the cities, it's not great. But some of the rural areas where a lot of the hikes are aren't covered at all. So you need to have private transport. Um, That said, you also need to think about if you're doing a loop walk, you're pretty much sorted because you can park your, your car at the car park there are often car parks at the, at the trail heads and then just walk in a big circle to come back to your car if however you want to do a one-way walk how are you going to get from the end of the trail back to your car that's something to think about
0: yeah jumping off that I guess accessibility is the next point that we think of um, where the walk is is important but how accessible that trailhead is uh, if it's safe to park your vehicle there uh, if you need to get dropped off at the start and finish and like Linda said if you 're doing a loop you get back to your vehicle but yeah, if so you're not thing. you're uh, either walking walking all the way back or have to arrange a pickup beforehand
1: a lot of the walks are designed that you you walk to somewhere and then you walk back again for example there's one called fairy Falls which is near near here in the White tackeries of Auckland and you walk to a waterfall and then you follow the same tra- the same track back yeah uh, the, the Walk that we did recently with our friends was about six kilometres from Wanaka, and as they had a vehicle, it was fine, we could drive there. But a lot of people actually walked the six kilometres from Wanaka, which isn't exactly ideal because it was along a main road, really boring, quite flat, and then they walked up a hill and down again. So, you know, transport is a big issue.
0: It is, and, you know, if you're travelling by yourself and wanting to get up there, it doesn't really make financial sense to order a taxi to to drop you off there so I understand why people were hitchhiking and walking out to the start of the trailhead Uh, but then in that case I'd be wanting to make that start very early in the day Mm. so you're not walking you know in the extreme heat in the middle of the day along a a busy road
1: but that's why location is so important and accessibility people chose this this hike because it was close to Wanaka you might choose a a walk because it's close to Auckland or, or some other urban centre or you might choose it because you've heard that it's really amazing but yeah, location and accessibility kind of go hand in hand
0: They do indeed, and thinking of accessibility I guess this is a good time to bring up accessibility for those that maybe have a physical disability Mm -hmm. and being aware of the condition of the track is really, really important Yeah,
1: even if you do have a disability there are walks that are suitable for you Uh, there are tracks that are Uh, Paved, Well, not really paved, kind of there's wooden planks along them and they're accessible for wheelchairs and also for prams. They tend to be a lot shorter, they tend to be a lot flatter, but you can see some of what New Zealand has to offer, maybe lakes or forests. I know there's one in Northland, it's it's only about 15, 20 minutes. Big circle and uh, you get to see some of the the native trees that we have here.
0: Yeah, beautiful stands of kauri and yeah, secondary growth scrub forest. And yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. That's up at uh, Tane Mahuta. Yeah. Lovely. Is that the one you think? I of? think so, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a few around. Awesome. Well, um, that ties in again, while wow, we're going well with the segues, <laughs> with fitness and the fitness of your group, because, uh, well, the fitness of your group depends on how many Ks you're going to make a day. And this is something I've noticed is a big difference between our hikes in Europe. We've been in Scotland or uh, in Spain and hiking in New Zealand. See, I'd be looking at a hike in in Scotland or in Spain and looking at kind of 25 to 35 kilometres a day is is a good distance. Most of the walks in New Zealand, I'm kind of looking at 20 to 25 a day as a good distance. If that, 14, 15 is good too. Yeah, some of them. Because... Quite often in New Zealand you're just walking up and down hills all day on tracks that are very good for hiking but maybe aren't the fastest to move along because Mm -hmm. you're having to watch your step, uh, make your way across some narrow parts at times and, yeah, maybe a bit of uh, bushwhacking and trail finding if uh, if the track is a bit overgrown.
1: That has happened to us. In fact, our very first overnight hike, I don't know what we were thinking. We found this forest and we really liked it. And there was a walk that we thought would be excellent. It was going to be about five hours in. We'd camp overnight at a campsite and then we'd walk five hours out. We also had the option of following a like a logging road. So we'd have to take a detour. It would be about half an hour. That would get us onto a logging road and we could come back. But uh, yeah, we didn't really want to do that because we thought that would be quite boring. It was the end of winter. So the days were still quite short. We drove up there and we got there at about 11 o'clock and we started walking we were with our two friends Janine and Ant. And we walked and walked and it was fine, but every so often the tray would just disappear and scrub. So we'd put down our bags and we'd all go off in different directions until one of us found the little orange plastic triangle marker, when we call that marker, put on our bags and continue on. At one point there was a, uh, there were two trees that had fallen across the track. So We had kind of a cliff going up on one side, a cliff going down on the other side. And across the track were these two trees that were about a meter in diameter or more. So I pushed myself across one and straddled it, but couldn't get my foot down on the other side. So I felt myself kind of sliding down the abyss. <laughs> and Craig said, "Ah, uh, uh, Linda, do you do you want a bit of help there?" And I said, "Oh yeah." <laughs> so we got across there and kept walking, and we didn't get to our campsite by dark by darkness. It was getting dark about six, so we'd been walking for seven hours, just couldn't find it. So I think we probably should have considered the um, this the upkeep of the track this track obviously mm. hadn't been maintained over winter which is kind of fair enough no one's going to walk it we hadn't called in we hadn't asked anyone we just said ah yeah we're going to do this walk we had a map but it was pretty shocking and uh, we decided not to go back the way we came we decided to take this uh, detour path and go back by the logging road so we're looking at the map obviously we weren't very good at reading maps because um we're looking at it, and actually it was Janine who said, oh yeah, so what we need to do is go up for about 20 minutes. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard, uphill, basically hands and knees climbing. We'll get to a lake or a river that we have to cross, and then it will be the same again. So we went up for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Got to the top, it was a bit of a plateau, just a tiny little space, enough for us to put down our bags and make a cup of coffee using our gas gas stove. And uh, yeah, we rested for 20 minutes, and then Janine said, come on guys, we're going to do it. We're going to go across this little river, and then... Will be going up again. Well, we put in our bags and uh, took about four steps. Everything cleared up. It was the logging road. There was no river, no other climb.
0: Yeah, I just passed through a little bit of scrub and, and there it was. There it was.
1: And then from there it was an easy walk back in, thank goodness. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's yeah. really important to consider the track condition of facilities.
0: Yeah, and yeah, obviously that ties in with the fitness of your group, which is what we started talking about at the beginning of that story. Yeah. Um, when you're looking at fitness, you have to kind of choose the walk to suit the least fit person in yes. your group. And it can really help to put them first, mm-hmm. or if they're not experienced hikers and not experienced at kind of reading a trail or reading a map, put them up front with someone who is. Yeah. So one person second, can be doing the, the technical work, but then uh, your pace is matched off the, the pace of the slowest person. Mm-hmm. Put the slowest person at the end and you're likely to leave them behind and have a bit of a uh, health and safety disaster on your hand yeah. um, as they get further and further behind or might You know, have an injury or something like that so you actually want your more experienced people down the back of the file of people that are walking so they can look after people uh, that are in the middle.
1: You can always mix it up a bit as well I mean in our groups when we go hiking we like to take turns being at the front because there is a bit of stress being at the front because you're the one who's setting the pace, you're the one who's looking ahead, finding the marker, choosing the trail, I have chosen the wrong trail on occasion, (laughs) let's not talk about it but we also have a joke that whoever's in front is responsible for the terrain. So <laughs> if we're going up a hill, everyone behind me, and I'm in the front, everyone behind me going, Linda, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Obviously it's not my fault, but no, that's the <laughs> joke.
0: Well, I guess we've left the best to last, which is choosing a, a, a hike, choosing a walk based on what you're going to see along the way, the sights that are there and kind of the the highlight moments of the walk.
1: And that's what our Malaysian friends chose our walk based on. And to be fair, the views from the top were really spectacular, but we hadn't considered all of these other factors that we've just talked about. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you might want to see the forest, you might want to see a lake, there might be a waterfall you've heard about, there might be views. I'm sure there'll be things that you'll have heard about. And you can um, you can actually get information from the internet, from uh, the DOC website. We'll put a link to it on our on the show notes, and they will give you an idea of what you're going to see during the walk. Just make sure you take into account the other factors because they are really important.
0: Yeah, if you are looking for uh, hiking in New Zealand, I think we can put together a bit of a, a bibliography of some of our favourite books. Eh, and we'll chuck those in the show notes as mm-hmm. well because sure. there's some great little uh, short walk guides around the place that we really enjoy using and keep using time and time again but it's so, also
1: worth dropping into a dock information center yeah. DOC is the department of conservation and they're the ones who maintain the tracks maintain the forests and maintain the campsites
0: uh, most of yeah most of the campsites yeah. some
1: of them are privately run and they're really i think they do a great job i really like them and uh they i mean toilets are available that's one thing that i, I love about new zealand that I found strange in other countries that so few toilets are available on hiking paths. But here you'll see them quite a lot, not everywhere, but where there's a campsite, there's a toilet. And uh, it's just a long job. It's not very, I mean, the smell is quite awful. But you know, that's how it is. And uh, yeah, if you want to do an overnight camp, then you can find a list of campsites where you can put up a tent or or huts where you can sleep. Mm. There is a charge, but it's pretty easy. You can book online as well.
0: Now, I've got a feeling we've done a podcast in the past on uh, safety and things to think about in terms of, of safety and preparation when you're going to do a hike. So, have we? Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure we have. So if we have, we'll link those up. And if not, we'll get it on the editorial calendar for <laughs> next year. I'm pretty sure we don't uh, uh, did one like that a little while ago. So yeah, New Zealand's full of amazing walks that range from 15-20 minutes just off the side of the main road that you're driving down to multi-day, um, multi-week amazing adventures. And it's well worth exploring.
1: Oh, I would recommend a walk to every single visitor to New Zealand. I think it's something you have to do. Because how else are you going to really get to see the wonderful nature of New Zealand? Because you really want to get involved, right? You want to get in it. So Yeah do it
0: so our indie travel tip of the week this week is also very new zealand related and to do with being outdoors
1: that's right it's all about sunscreen we've found it quite strange since we've been back in new zealand how the spf value of sunscreen has increased so much when we were kids it was 15 now most people seem to be using 50 so an spf value is the uh how much the sunscreen increases your body's natural protection. So if you've got a sun protection factor in your skin naturally of whatever, an SPF 15 multiplies that by 15, 20 multiplies it by 20. So yeah, 50 used to be just for crazy people, and now it's the standard.
0: And uh, the other thing to remember is that sunscreen that you buy in uh, the Americas, in Europe, and Asia, that's quite a different formula to the sunscreen that you'll buy in Australia or New Zealand down here we've got really high skin cancer rates because of uh, damage to the ozone layer that was created during the industrial revolution and we're not uh, very happy with you england (laughs) so we get a stronger radiation down here for the amount of sun and when we first came back we had some uh, some sunscreen that we had picked up in germany and we'd be using over the summer and we wanted to kind of use it up but i was finding i was putting on sunscreen once an hour and I was getting burnt through that with mm-hmm. the European sunscreen. So the SPF rating is country specific. And yeah. if you're coming down to Australia or New Zealand, you want to buy local.
1: Unfortunately, sunscreen here is expensive. Like everything at the moment. <laughs> it's not too expensive, but yeah, buy local. And uh, we actually looked up um, some, rep- some reviews online to make sure we got a good brand because... S- uh, one of our friends had told us that one brand tested on our animals and another brand wasn't as good as it was cracked up to be. So do your research and choose a brand that that you're happy with buying.
0: Yeah, the one that we ended up with is uh, SPF 30 uh, from Nivea. And in New Zealand, what they've got to show is whether it's got a broad spectrum, which is UVA and UVB protection, uh, the ultraviolet A and B. And what you want is something that covers both of them well. And in New Zealand, they've also got to show the amount of time that it will protect you if you're in water. So it'll be two, four or eight hours of protection in water. And uh, yeah, so it's a bit of a a science just choosing sunscreen in this country.
1: Yeah. Also, I mean, just quite apart from sunscreen, be careful in the sun anyway. Don't go out sunbathing between 11 and about 3 o'clock. If you're going to go sunbathing, then do it before or after those times. Yeah. And just kind of avoid it altogether, yeah, really. It's, it's, it's not a good idea.
0: It's, it's really strong down here, so you do end up getting microwaved.
1: Yeah, but even if you're going to be just walking to work or walking to the shops, if you're going to be out for more than 10 minutes, you should put sunscreen on.
0: Well, we're going to go out and uh, enjoy a little bit of sun along the, uh, the beachfront here and uh, kind of take our own advice because it's already mid-afternoon.
1: <laughs> well, that's us for this week. Until next week, travel well.